Well, it's good to be able to be with you this morning, to stand here in front of you and present a message is a weighty thing. And that's what we're going to look at today in, as we continue our study in 1 Timothy, as we look at passages from 11 through 16. So please turn there, and as you're turning there, this passage reminds me of when I was growing up in high school. I played football. Of course, it's football season, so many of us are into our our different teams. Some of us happy, some of us not so happy. But one of the things that I remember vividly, my senior year, we were a small double-A school. My senior class had about 250 students, and we had 26 seniors on our football team. 22 of us started, so there was great expectations my senior year on our football season. Now, I grew up uh, south of Youngstown in Ohio. We call it the football belt. Uh, That was the main sport, so if you had a good football season, everybody got fired up. Well, we were doing very well. I think we won our first five or six games had a lot of the talk, and then disaster. We lost a game we should have never lost. We had too many turnovers, too many penalties, and we lost. And I remember the Monday after school, going to practice after that loss. Boy, was our coach fired up. And if he didn't say this 50 times, he yelled, we're going to get back to the basics. Back to the basics. We can't have all these penalties. We can't have all these turnovers. Back to the basics. And boy, did we get back to the basics that day. Conditioning, running like we never ran before. And then we would do drill after drill where I was an offensive lineman. I was the, uh, the left offensive tackle. This was before the Joe Theismann incident, so the left tackle wasn't anything more special than the right tackle on the blind side. But um, we would have to stand in our stance and listen for the right cadence before we could move because he didn't want those penalties anymore. And then he worked with the running backs on how to carry that ball, make sure that points in and you have your hand over the end and you're holding it in tight. And when you go up through the middle, you put that other arm over that ball. And when you're running against the sideline, that ball needs to be in the arm that's on the sideline, not out in the middle. In our defense, when you're the first man tackling a guy, don't try to strip the ball. Grab him. Let the next guys come and do that. The basics. This is the basics for our pastors, for our leaders, for our elders, our deacons, for our teachers, and for you. This doesn't just apply to the pastors today. But we got to remember the basics. Because what happens when you forget your basics? We, you know, we had 26 seniors and most of us had played together since sixth grade. Where I grew up, there was a lot of elementary schools, four or five for a lot. But there was one middle school. So all these schools fed into one middle school, sixth through eighth, and then one high school, ninth through twelfth. So we were together. Since sixth grade, we've been taught those same things 
for years. But how easy is it to get loose and relaxed on some of the fundamentals? And when you forget the fundamentals, everything else can unravel quickly. So he's reminding Timothy here of some fundamentals. Read with me, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, I see from this three mandates if you want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Three mandates if you want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That is the message, the model, and the mission. So the first mandate is your message. Verse 11 starts, command and teach these things. So then we got to ask, what are these things? Of course, that's what we've been studying here in 1 Timothy. And we'll just back up just to verse 6 as a, as a way of a quick review and to pull some of this out. It says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. To be trained in the word. That's a a very important part of our message, is we need to be in the word. You know, it's kind of taken for granted that pastors, well, they're in the word. They spend time in the word. You know, the sad reality is a lot of pastors get so busy with so many other things that they don't take time to stay in the word. So pastors, leaders, teachers, elders, you need to be personally in God's word. A fundamental, a basic. We all know it. We know it's to be true. Do it. We got to put it into practice. It takes discipline to be trained in God's word. There's formal training that can take place, and that is a very good thing. But there is training that can take place on your own reading God's word and studying God's word. I am all for our pastors having formal training. So don't take that wrong. But we can all have training in God's word. You can even get formal training. And that's a wonderful thing. We have our Evening Bible Institute to offer some of this. What a great way for us to train up our men and our women to sit under some godly good teaching on Bible doctrine. What a blessing it is that we have these things available to us here to be trained 
in God's word. But it's a personal responsibility that we spend time in God's word to be trained. And then also says that you have followed. You need to do what you read. You need to understand what you're reading and have that as your life application. We need to command and teach the Bible. Put it into practice. Don't just hear it. Do it. That's what the Word says. We also see here about spiritual training. This falls under the message. We have spiritual nourishment that comes from God's Word. And then there's spiritual training in godliness. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Um, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. We spent a good bit of time on that last week, so I won't spend much time on it this week. But godliness is an important part of the things we are to command and teach. Godliness, life that shows the presence of God working through it. And this is of unlimited value. Value for here today and for our life to come. And it is obviously something in godliness that has the ability to conquer sin in your life. If you're struggling with an area in your life, working at godliness is the way that you conquer that sin that seems to have a grip on you. You have the power within. Work on your godliness and your character and the things that you know are right. And you will have victory and power over the areas that Satan is attacking you in. And it's wonderful to see, when you're working on godliness, you will be able to look at your life and see points of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. I heard that at the ladies' retreat, they worked on timelines and looking at points when the Holy Spirit worked in their life. What a great thing to do, to reflect and remember how God is present with you. We have to have that spiritual training in godliness. We need to command and teach the practice of godliness. And finally, spiritual hope. Verses 9 and 10. This is a saying trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. The hope that we have This isn't all that there is. We have the hope of eternity. Excuse me. (coughs) We have the hope of what is to come. Does that light your fire? When you think about the hope? I don't understand the world's view of how they can be satisfied or even endure if this is all that there is. Now, I enjoy life. I enjoy my family. I enjoy sports. I enjoy the things that I get to do. But there's a lot of things about this life I don't enjoy. And there's a lot of problems. And then, as I age, I can't do the things that I think I can still do. And I quickly learn that I should not do them anymore. Well, I don't quickly learn it, but I should learn it. But this isn't all that there is. One day, there'll be no sickness. There'll be no pain. There'll be no tears. We'll be with God. 
We'll be in heaven in our mansion. Oh, glorious day. Our hope is what continues us to go along. There needs to be a sense of urgency about communicating that hope to others. That says he toils and he strives. He works hard at it. Why? It's so important. To get the message out to people who need to hear. How are they supposed to know if they cannot hear? If no one will bring them the message. Romans 10, 14, and 15 preaches this. And how can they hear if somebody isn't sent to them? We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be sharing the hope that we have of our spiritual life to come. This is the message that we are to command and teach. Not just from the pulpit, but from our Sunday school rooms. From our contacts with people at work. With our schoolmates. With our neighbors. With our friends. See, this isn't just the command to the pastor. This is the command for all of us. To work in these things. That's why they're to be commanded so that we do what God called us to do. Well, that's the idea of this first part of the message. And if FBC is going to command and teach these things, then Pastor Van, Pastor Mark, myself, our elders, our deacons, and our leaders must be passionate for their study of the word. (coughs) Can you get me a drink of water? Must be passionate for their study of the word. They must pursue a godly life and must proclaim our spiritual health. This passion, pursuit, and proclamation applies to all of us. These are the things that we need to be doing at fellowship. And I can say as I look, I'm proud to think that we are doing these things. But you know we can always do better. There's always things that we can strive at. We want to be intentional about some of our outreach, especially this coming year, about seeing more people come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. That's part of our emphasis with the Bakerton Church is to reach into a community. Thank you. To reach into a community there that needs to know the Lord. But we have that here. And we need to reach our community. Well, the second mandate, which takes us really to today's passage, is the mandate to be a good servant of Jesus Christ is the model, or your model, which is in verse 12. The Christian lifestyle. It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. (coughs) Now, of course, this was a letter to Timothy from Paul. Now Timothy is probably, although he's called a young man here, mid-30s, maybe late-30s, because the Greek culture really put a lot of emphasis on age, and they kind of divided things up in the first 40 years 
you were still a young man. I still missed it. We don't, in our culture, think necessarily of a 35, 38-year-old man as necessarily being a young man, unless you're a little bit older than that. And then that's still a young man. But we certainly think of a 18 or 20 or 22-year-old as being a young man. See, Timothy, he was saved when he was a teenager. What a great testimony. And I know there's some teenagers here, and I want to make sure you're listening well to this passage because it refers to don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And then we're going to look at why that is or how, <clears throat> how that's accomplished. Timothy uh, went with Paul on his first missionary journey. And then after Paul revisited Ephesus when he was after he got out of prison, there were some things out of order that needed addressed. And he left Timothy there to put these things in order, which we've talked about. So Timothy... Since he went with Paul on his first missionary journey when he was in his mid-twenties, has known Paul and been with Paul for 10 to 15 years, he has a lot of experience for a young man. But he's still considered young. So Paul here is encouraging him in his youth, how do you need to go about gaining respect? Because in order to respect the office, you need to respect the man. Now, we're called to respect the office regardless of the man, but the man has a lot to do with how you respect that office. And he says, don't go brag about yourself. Don't go proclaim or demand because of your experience. But he basically says, earn it. Earn it. And there are five areas that he's to earn their respect. And that is by being spiritually mature. You know, the best way to bridge the gap of age is to conduct yourself as a spiritually mature believer. Young people, did you hear that? Do you want to be respected? Be respectful. If you want to be respected, be respectful. How are you going to be respectable? By conducting yourself in a biblical way in these five areas. These are basics, and that doesn't make them easy. And number one on the list, and the first area here he gives, is speech. Now, I want to back up just a second here, because it says a kind of funny way of saying it in verse 12, that no one despise for your youth, but set the believers an example. As I did some study on that passage, it's interesting. There's a little bit of nuance in different translations and how they interpret that passage or that meaning. The King James Version, the NASB, say that it is being an example of the believer. In other words, his example is to be what a believer should be. Be an example of a believer. The New King James... The ESV, the NIV, says, be an example to the believers. Little difference in nuance, little difference in meaning, but as I studied this passage, I think it's intentionally open, 
because it is both. To be an example to the believers, you need to be the example of a believer. So he's setting before him what a believer should do, how a believer should act, and as you are doing that, it will naturally be an example to others who should be acting that way as they claim to be believers. And the first area is speech. Ooh, how hard it is to tame that tongue. I think it's no mistake that it's the first one because I think it's also probably one of the hardest ones. This isn't about his speech when he's presenting God's message, preaching. That comes a little bit later. But this is about his speech and conversation, his openness in his way that he communicates, how he is in his conduct of speech outside the church. How are we in our conduct of speech outside the church? And I remember at Christmas time, we'd get gifts, and you'd open that box, and it'd be like something special. And it was so special at times, you would just keep it in the box and put it on the shelf, just occasionally get it out and play with it, when no other kids were there, so they couldn't break it, and put it back up on the shelf. Sometimes, we almost treat our Christianity as it's that special, that we don't get it out at other times. We bring it to church with us. We get it out of the box, but then we put it back on the shelf the rest of the week. Other people won't break it. We need to have it out all the time for others to see, to bring them to Christ. And I know that's not always easy because we have a sin nature. But do you effort and toil to control your speech? Outside of the church, outside of the car ride here to church, or during your car ride here to church, we get out of the car how quickly we can change. Our speech matters. It matters so much that a lot of passages are devoted to speech. Now, I can imagine Timothy... Being the younger man, set in a position here at the church to set some things right, some false teachers of other people. And I'm sure that there was some resistance from these older guys. They didn't want to respect him because he was young. They were challenging him. They had their own doctrine they wanted to preach. It wasn't what he was teaching them. And I can imagine if I was Timothy, I'd want to go to Nehemiah chapter 13, 25, which says, and I beat some of them and I pulled out their hair. But Paul tells him to watch his speech. Psalm 34, 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Ephesians 4, 25 carries that out even further about losing your credibility because of your lies. How quickly... You can undermine everything that you're working for with God. Everything of your example of life and what you've been preaching and telling others about what God is doing in your life. When they find out you've lied about something. Wow. It was just a little white lie. There's no such thing. 
we are called to a higher standard of honesty. Our tongues. Well, I lie just because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. There's another way to go about that. You don't have to lie. There's meekness, gentleness. Love covers a multitude of sins. But don't lie. You'll lose your credibility. Don't be harsh. Be gentle. Lots of things that the the scripture will tell us. And Paul didn't need to go through the litany of things because he knew that Timothy had been under him for years and he knew what the doctrine said. It was just that quick reminder. Same for us. We don't have to go through all the different passages that tell us about the dangers of the tongue. You know what the scripture says. We know what's right to do before God. Be careful. Be careful with your tongue. Because once those words are out, you can never take them back. Be careful. Well, then the uh, next thing that we see is in his conduct, it says. In speech and then in conduct. Where speech is that verbal, audible, conduct is that visual. How are you acting? What does your life look like? Are you living according to what you're teaching? Paul even had to work at this. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, it says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. There are many areas that Satan comes after us in. And Paul says he has to keep working at it. And if Paul has to keep working at it, I know that I have to keep working at it. There are many areas of temptations. And if we let our guards down, if we don't keep our fundamentals in place, you'll be at the end, looking back and saying, how did I ever get there? Because it took steps. Because you weren't paying attention to the basics. And guarding yourselves. And you allowed this in. Then you allowed that in. And then you're down here. And what happened? Well, fortunately for us, we had a God who stands there and says, come back to me. And will forgive us. And we can be right before him no matter what you do. But there's a lot of damage that remains. So protect yourself in your conduct. Live according to what you're teaching. A godly life brings power and authority to the message. How much faith and confidence do you put in your leaders when they don't act according to what they teach? How many of you, like me, have said to your kids, do what I say, not what I do? What a horrible thing, right? What a horrible thing. We need to be doing what's right before our kids, not just demanding it of them. We need to be doing what's right in our conduct as Christians so that our testimony is not blemished, so that God is not blemished by our conduct, so that we do not be a stumbling block for somebody to come to Christ because they were looking at us when they should have been looking it up, up but they were looking at us. Our conduct matters. Young people, if you want to earn respect, your conduct matters. Timothy was even charged, put away 
the youthful desires. Concentrate on your conduct. The third thing that he lists there is an area of behavior called love. Now this love is not the ooey-gooey emotional love. This is the intentional, decisive, self-sacrificing love for believers. Paul went to great lengths expressing his love to the believers and how much he toiled and worked for them because of his love. We have passages like John 15, 13. No greater love has a man let he lay down his life for another. 1 Corinthians 13, we call the love chapter. 2 Corinthians 12, 15 and 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 are great examples of Paul telling about how he has poured himself out for the believers, all because of his love for them. What is that love based in? His love for God. The more you love God, the more that love will be shown to the believers. The further you are from your relationship with God, the less likely you are to show that love to fellow believers. Your picture of your relationship with God and the depth of your love with God is manifested through your relationship with fellow believers and the love that you show and the more you're self-sacrificing to give to the body. That's the charge to the pastor. The pastor is to toil and strive for fellow believers, for those under his charge. But it's not just for him. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's all of us. We are to work at these areas in love because how deep everything is bound together through love. The fourth one that he lists here is in faith. And that faith isn't necessarily just a faithfulness to God, but it's a faithfulness to his charge, a faithfulness to his duty that he is to do. He is to be found trustworthy, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Trusted and loyal leadership. Faithful to do his purpose, what God has laid out for him. He is encouraging him to not be lazy, but to be found faithful. To do. Young people, be faithful. Be faithful in your attendance. Be faithful in being part of the body. In doing what your mission calls you to do. Leaders, nursery workers... Sunday school teachers, be faithful in your mission of what God has laid out for you to do. That's what he's calling for here. And then fifth one is impurity. Mostly referring to sexuality and his concern over his actions and his intentions of his heart. 1 Timothy 3.2, of course, You're to be above reproach to be an elder. You're to be a husband of one wife or a one-woman man. These are qualifications of the office for sure. He expands more in 2 Timothy 2.22. What a devastating thing it is to ministries when you hear of the moral failure of a pastor. That's a hard thing for a church to recover from. It's a huge charge to the leadership to guard themselves because 
Temptations are everywhere. Our society sells it in advertising, sells it everywhere. It is hard to watch TV without seeing a commercial that you probably need to avert your eyes from. It is hard to go anywhere and not have something you have to deal with to make sure that you have your basics in place and guarding yourself so you don't end up down there and looking back saying, how did I get here? Keep your fundamentals in place. Make sure you guard the purity. Otherwise, get out of leadership. Don't be a mockery before God if you struggle in these areas. The leader's life is a standard for others to follow. So we need to make sure we're guarding that standard. Well, we had the two areas of the mandates. And here we know for sure that Paul is telling him to model after a Christian lifestyle. And he says in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says to them, Be imitators of me. In Philippians 3.17, he says, Join in following my example. And in Philippians 4.9, I'll paraphrase saying, Think of all these things that you've seen me do. And all the things that you've seen me do and act in, practice these things. What a statement. I need to hold on tight for me to stand up here and say, be imitators of me. Everything that you see me do, do likewise. I hope you didn't see that one. He's not calling for perfection. He's not saying that you have to be perfect, but there should be a progress to your relationship with Christ. You should be closer and more Christ-like than you were in your past. Are you heading in the right direction? Imitating Christ so that others can imitate you? Hebrews 13.7 makes this real plain, telling us to look at the leaders, look at those who have given you the gospel, and follow them. Have you ever given anybody the gospel? Have you ever shared Christ with somebody? The scripture tells them to look at you and follow your example. What a high calling and charge that we have. These five areas... If you put those five areas of practice, then you will be worth imitating. Whether you are young, whether you are not so young. Putting into effect the fundamentals of these five areas of your life will make you worthy of respect and a model that others can follow. Well, the third mandate... Time is quickly moving along here, is your mission. To be a servant. We find this in the rest of the passage. Verse 13 says, Until I come, devote to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. First of all is public corporate worship. Coming together, the pastor's in charge, is to give attention to reading the Word. 
Not just the word that we're studying, but reading the word. Making sure that we have public reading and teaching. Exhorting. Exhorting is advice. Exhorting is encouragement. Exhorting is chastisement. Exhorting is applying the truth of the scriptures to your life. We've been studying Colossians with the college and career group called BASIC. And in Colossians 3, it goes into great detail about the evil desires that we have. And these are things that we need to put off. Put off these things of the world. And in place of these things, it gives us what we should put on. Which are attributes of Christ. Meekness, holiness, gentleness. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. And put it all in love. And I challenge them that when it comes to exhorting and what that means, there's only two areas that we really should be exhorting each other in. We should be exhorting each other in areas of things that need to be put off. And we should be exhorting each other in areas of things that should be put on. Outside of that, we shouldn't be exhorting one another. Because this is godliness. And that's what we need to strive for. To become mature Spiritual Christians. And then also it says in teaching. Sound doctrinal teaching is essential to understanding God's word. We need to have teaching. We need to have expository teaching. We are not in the setting of the history. We don't have the original languages that we understand. The way. We need good teaching. We need good leaders in doing that. And we need to be students of the Bible so that we can teach others. You know, teaching is the greatest way to learn the teacher always learns more than his students. So I would challenge you to find a way, Sunday school, small group, whatever it would be, to force yourself to teach a little. Now, not everybody's called to teach, and I understand that. But what a great way to learn Scripture. Teaching. Well, these are the balance of things that we need to have in life. These are the balance of things we need to have Sunday morning in our pulpit. It's the heart of the pastor to bring these things evident. And then he goes on to use his spiritual giftedness. And that's a command for all of us. We all have a spiritual gift. A way of which the Holy Spirit can work through us for his means. Exercise your giftedness. You will be able to identify that by the things that you get jazzed up about. The things that you know that God is drawing you to. Engage in the ministry. We are called to be doers, not hearers only. We need people to help in many areas. And if you're not sure where you can plug into, come talk to me. I would love to work with you to find a place for you to serve God. We're a church of 500 some coming on Sunday mornings. We should have a lot of workers. What a challenge to be giving yourself to the service, and to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Use your spiritual giftedness. Timothy was charged with this and encouraged to use it because it was confirmed by others and he was commissioned for it and then he was told to practice it. What an encouragement to remember. We need to use our gifts. We need to be preparing it. We need to be praying about it. And we need to be planning to go forward. Those are important things. A good servant of Christ is consumed by his work. Not flawless, 
Not perfect, but we can do more than we do. And we need to make sure that we are working at it. The spiritual progress. We can't be careless. We need to be working hard at what the Lord has for us. The three mandates, if you want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, is the message through your spiritual nourishment, being in the Word, through spiritual training, the pursuit of godliness, and through the spiritual hope, the gospel, and what it means to us as our motivation and our hope and our joy. We need to be a model in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And we need to remember our mission publicly in our worship to use your spiritual giftedness and to concentrate on your progress. These are the fundamentals of the basics that we need to make sure that we have in practice so we don't end up down there and wondering how we got there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words to us through Timothy, through Paul. Help us to apply them to our lives. Father, how easy it is to get in routines and habits and the busyness of life and not think about and concentrate on areas of fundamentals that we need to work on. To realize areas of speech that we should be modifying. To realize areas of our actions that we should be controlling. To realize areas of love that we need to be showing. To realize areas of our faithfulness. To be counted on. To be loyal. To realize areas of our purity. Of our actions. And even the intentions of our heart. Father, help us in these areas. That we can remember the message, the model, and the mission. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.